Okay. Uh, I think the last two Sundays we've been in Psalms. Uh, Titus was kind enough to, while I was gone, to uh, teach Psalm 72. Uh, we did Psalm 73 last Wednesday on uh, live stream. I assume that went through. I think it did. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, have you ever, do you ever get asked the question about certain things and somebody asked you, well, what do you think? Do you think that's a sin? You ever had anybody ask you something like that? They'll, they'll talk about something, a certain subject, a certain activity, or, or, or something in particular, and they'll say, well, what do you think? Do you think that's a sin? And I always thought that, uh, in some ways, that's an odd question. Uh, because why would we ask somebody else if, some, if, if it's a sin or not? You know, why would we go around asking different people? Are we trying to uh, say it's a sin? Are we trying to uh, uh, justify what we're doing or, you know, somewhere in between? I was talking to somebody one time about, about something. It was actually an elder at a congregation, and uh, there was a certain thing that he was talking about and, uh, that happened, and he was upset about it, and uh, he said that it was a sin. And so as we got to talking, <clears throat> one thing we had to come to a conclusion of and had to figure out, was it actually a sin, or was it just something that he was uncomfortable with? And you say, that may sound odd. Well, I think that's a legitimate question, isn't it? I think that's something we have to determine. Because if it's something is a sin then <clears throat> there's action that needs to be taken, isn't there? If, if it's something that we're uncomfortable with, we have to deal with it in, in that particular area. So when it comes to, and I think we've got to be careful when we, someone asks us that or we're asking that question, if something is a sin or not, maybe the first thing we need to determine is do we truly know what sin is? Do we truly know uh, how to determine I see, I, I look at sin, <clears throat> or try to, look at sin like I look at the truth. You know, a lot of people says that, uh, you know, say, well, I've got to uh, understand this particular religion or that particular religion. And I had someone tell me one time they're going to go to all the religions that they can think of, and then they're going to decide from themselves whether that particular religion is right or wrong. Um, or someone will say, I have to, to be able to defend the truth, I have to know every error that's out there. Do you think that's true? Do I have to know every error that's out there to be able to defend the truth? What should I know to be able to defend the truth? I should know the truth. And if I knew the truth, then it doesn't matter what the error is. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying there. I like studying a lot of different things. But, it, but first and foremost, I think I need to study the truth and know the truth. Then I'll be able to determine what's not the truth, no matter what it is. And I think sin's the same way. If, if we can determine sin itself, then we can determine whatever falls in that category of sin, can't we? And I, I think that's how we uh, kind of need to approach it. Now, the Bible, from what I can tell, what I've read and what I've studied myself, the word sin, or the form of the word sin, is used 447 times uh, in Scripture, 388 verses. Um, so, sound like to me it's pretty important. <laughs> sound like to me it's something that I think we need to uh, understand. But when it comes to sin, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is it? And without a doubt, the word itself is being lost, I think, in the world's vocabulary. 
I think we don't use, we've heard sermons on desensitizing things and not calling things sin when we just call them mistakes or or, or things of this nature. Uh, So it really depends on who you're talking to, who you ask when it comes to sin uh, itself. But the New Testament word most often translated for sin is hamartia. this Greek word, this, this particular word that's, that, that's used, is the definition is to miss the mark. So when you see the word sin, it's talking about missing the mark. But how it describes missing the mark in most definitions is uh, like shooting an arrow to a bullseye. But you miss the bullseye. And actually, uh, one lexicon actually says missing the bullseye by just a little bit. You're still on the target, but you didn't hit the bullseye. You actually missed the mark. And that's actually a a pretty good definition of missing the mark. But here's the problem. When we just view sin as missing the mark like an arrow, I think there can become problems with that. And the problem with that is, well, we just missed it just a little bit, but it's, it's still on target. Uh, I read uh, one gentleman defined it as what we should be saying is it's like jumping from one building to the next and missing. Do you think the consequences are different than missing the mark by just a little bit? If I miss that by an inch, it's devastating, isn't it? Someone once said uh, one of the worst things could happen is to jump a chasm in two bounces. (laughs) You can't do it. You know, if you don't make it in one, you don't make it at all. And that's missing the mark, isn't it? Missing the mark there is you miss it, it's devastating. I think that's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So when we look at sin as falling short in, in that frame, we have to understand how devastating it is. We have to understand the consequences of it. Just missing the mark doesn't mean we're just missing by a little bit, but we're close and that's okay. And that's how you start justifying sin. That's how you start justifying different things is saying, well, I just miss it by just a little bit. Again, we have to determine it's either sin or it's not sin. It's not just about missing just a little bit and trying to justify something and things like this. So when we look at it as the Bible tells us as far as missing the mark and falling short, I think we need to take it a little farther than just an arrow missing the bullseye but still hitting on the target. I think we need to look at it as we've missed it and now we're falling. We're falling into abyss and something has to happen to save us from that, right? Something has to happen. We can't do it on ourselves now. We, we have done something. We, we have missed the mark. We have fallen short. We didn't hit where we were aiming. And the consequences are pretty devastating. So when we think about sin, before we can say this is a sin or that's a sin, I think we really have to have an understanding of what sin is. And, and how we even have sin uh, to begin with. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. The King James Version actually says, whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. So sin is lawlessness and transgression of the law, so that would tell us uh, a couple of things there. For us to commit lawlessness... 
there has to be what? There has to be a law. For us to transgress the law, there has to be what? has to be law. So if, if we look at it as sin is missing the mark, sin is falling short of something, sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is acting as if there's not any law at all. That, that's something total contrary to what the law is. Transgression of the law, that, that's what that is. That's Okay, here you have the law, transgression of the law, I'm doing something contrary to what the law says to do. So I think we have to understand that from the very beginning. For, for me to commit sin, to miss the mark, to commit lawlessness, to transgress the law, I have to understand that there's a law to transgress. Uh, we're just not aimlessly, you know, kind of walking around and trying to figure out um, all of this ourselves. There has to be a lawgiver, and that lawgiver uh, is God. Uh, so we are, and that's the only way we're going to get into this, but that's the only way that we even know sin is a sin. That's how we know something's a sin. We have to know the law of God, of what He set forth, and that we're transgressing that. So, and there is a good thing about this, when, when we truly think about it, but we'll get into this. In John, First uh, John chapter 5, and verse 17, it says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, there's a lot of ways in which I, I thought, and I kept getting ahead of myself and going down a lot of rabbit trails. We can talk about the different kinds of sin. We can talk about degrees uh, of punishment when it comes to sin. And we can get into all of these things, and I think they're good things to study, but I think we need to keep, before we can even say any of that, we have to understand exactly what sin is, and we can understand the consequences of those sin. So that's what I want us to kind of, uh, uh, to be able to uh, address uh, tonight. So as we look at this, uh, <coughs> we've got to understand that there is uh, a law. There's a lawgiver. There's a law. And sin is transgression uh, uh, of that law. Sin is living like there is no law. And we have to understand what that truly means uh, in order to do that. But we have to understand too, uh, we have to understand that when it comes to all unrighteousness, where does that begin? So if, if I'm transgressing the law, where does that transgression begin? And I think Jesus addressed this. If you look in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard it said... Uh, it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery uh, with her in his heart. James says it this way, James chapter 1 beginning at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is, um, uh, well that's a lot better, have my glasses on. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. So at some point, at some point, we have to decide of, of this transgression of the law. And where does that decision begin? Jesus said it begins here, doesn't it? It begins inside of us. And it progresses from that. And he said, okay, uh, uh, you said if someone uh, 
uh, uh, commits adultery, that that's a sin. He said, I'm saying if you look on a woman and lust after her, you committed it already in your heart. So he's saying it begins here. Jane says that's where that begins. That desire starts here. And then when that desire grows enough and becomes an action, it becomes sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And here's the thing. There's, here's where it comes to the difference in sins. You know, we, we have to understand there's, um, there's different ways in which I take care of that sin. If, if I have unrighteousness here, I take care of it here, right? It's, it's just between me and God. But if it goes from here to action, then there's other ways in which I take care of that. And that's how this, this progresses to try to understand this transgression of the law. Now, there's a lot of different views when it comes to sin. But here's, I think, a logical question. Why is sin sinful? Have you ever thought about that? You know, what makes something a sin? What makes it sinful? Now, you can look at and, and ask a lot of different people. When, when uh, something is defined as being wrong or sinful, why is it wrong? Is it wrong because... That's what society deemed it was, that this is wrong so we don't practice that? Was it, did we come to this conclusion ourselves and say, well, I think this is wrong or right? Now, some of these things, something that society says wrong may actually be a sin. Some things that I think are wrong may actually be a sin, but that's not the determining factor, is it? That's not what makes it right or wrong. And we need to be careful with that. When we're defining sin, when we're trying to figure out what sin is, we have to understand what makes sin, sin. It may sound like a silly question. What makes sin sinful? You know, what, what makes it wrong? Do we look at society and does society tell us it's wrong? Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. But notice how Paul describes it. In Romans 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetedness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now notice what Paul was saying. If I was just to think of it myself, or if I was to ask somebody, somebody out in society may say, well, covetousness is just ambition. You're just a very ambitious person. You're you're wanting to accumulate more. You see what somebody else has. You want to be like that, so you work hard for it. You strive for it. You want to have that too. There's nothing wrong with it. Paul even said, I wouldn't even know it's wrong unless what? How did Paul know it was wrong? God said it was wrong. That's what makes it a sin It's God's law that makes it a sin. He said, I wouldn't even know it was wrong unless God said, do not covet. So we have to understand my reasoning of why something is a sin, my my thought process of, well, this is sinful or this is not sinful. You could ask 100 people if something is a sin. You may get 50-50 on the answers. You may get 60-40 who knows what you get? It may depend on how that person was brought up. It may be the culture in which they live. It may be how society has gone now. There's a lot of things that we see out in our society that society itself says something's not a sin when God says that it is. So one thing that we can say that actually should be good news for us, that this uh, uh, gives us freedom for that. 
I don't have to be bound to what society says. I don't have to be bound with what the crowd says. I don't have to be bound to what other people think or say about a certain subject because I'm not bound to that, right? I don't have to determine if something's right because everybody else says it's right or I don't have to determine something is wrong and have that pressure. Do I go along with it? Do I not go along with it? I have to understand what is sin. I have to use Paul's reasoning. I wouldn't even know it's a sin unless God told me. Think about obedience to the gospel. How would we know how to obey the gospel? Do we ask other people? Do I, do I go out and ask people that I think are smart? How do you think I ought to save my soul? Do you think my soul even needs saving? How do I know it needs to be saved? How do I know the process in which to save? God's the one that tells us that, right? So when we look at sin... That's how we have to look at it. We have to look at it. One, what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. Sin is transgression of the law. So that tells me there is a law. Where does that law come from? As Paul said, I wouldn't even know something's a sin unless God said it was. So God is the lawgiver, and I have to follow that law. If I don't follow that law of what he says, and I'm talking, you know, ceremonial, I'm talking the things in which he says the do nots and all this, and even the moral part of it. There's moral law. How, how do I know what's the moral, morally right thing to do? How do I know that, where does this come? It comes from God. So that's how uh, I determine it. So in this process... We have to understand if sin is a transgression of the law, then there, there's some things that are implied with that. And what I, mean, what I mean by implied is there's some things that I can look at and say, okay, because I understand this, then I can determine these things. And I, and I just wrote down just a few for us to discuss tonight. If God's law defines us, again, I'm not held bondage to, as we were talking about, to society and its assumptions of the day. Because it may change. <coughs> you can turn on the TV at any given time and determine what's right and wrong based on what society says. Well, now we have the freedom from that. We can understand, I don't have to go by that. I don't have to feel the pressures of that. I can look and say, well, that doesn't matter. I don't care if everybody I'm around does it this way. If God said that's a sin, then it's a sin. I don't care if everybody around me thinks it's not. And God, or, uh, and God says it is, then I know it is. I don't care if everybody thinks it is and God says it isn't, then I don't care what everybody else says. See, sometimes we, we don't feel like we have the freedom to say that. Sometimes we'll call certain things a sin when God never called it a sin. When God didn't say there was, was anything wrong with it. But then you get into certain things as Paul did with eating meat. And Paul said, okay, I know there's nothing to an idol. There's nothing to eat meat of an idol. But this person is just coming out of that. And it could be a stumbling block for them. So I wouldn't do that just so I wouldn't be a stumbling block for them. So there's a lot you can get into Sin can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to sin, I can determine what a sin is. And I can determine it through uh, uh, knowing there's a law, there's a lawgiver, and then there's either following that or there's transgression of that. And I don't have to look around to everybody else to figure out what that is. But I can also understand something else. If God's law defines sin then all unlawful behavior is sin equally. Now this is one that 
I tell you, I had to think about, I had to study about, and, and I think that I've, I've convinced myself on this. Because, you know, we can say, well, uh, is there one sin over another one? Now, we can get into, and here's what I mean by that. Is lying a sin just like murder is a sin? Is covetedness a sin just like adultery is a sin? Are they equally sins? Yeah, there's a sin, sin's a sin. I think they're all equally sin. They're all lawlessness. They're all transgression of the law. Now, here's where you can get into some things. It, now, sin may be equally, but it can manifest itself in different ways. If, if I lie, there's consequences, right? Are they the same consequences as if I was to murder somebody? Are there, is, that, is that different consequences? Uh, I can go out here on 56 and I can be stopped for doing 65 mile an hour. Well, what if I'm driving down the road drunk and I wreck and kill somebody? Both of them's lawlessness. Both of them was breaking the law. But is one different than the other one? Yeah, so it can manifest itself different. There can be different consequences. There can be different results of these sins. But when it comes to sin, they're, they're equal as far, as far as lawlessness. And here's what I mean by that. Look in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strive, deceit, evil-mindedness. Uh, they, uh, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also those who approve who practice them. So look at this list. I mean it puts somebody who's whispering gossip the same as this old evil person over here. What about Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 3? But fornication and all uncleanness or covetedness, let it not even be named among you as is in fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now look at all the things that they put together. Now, I'm not talking about uh, degrees of them as far as the consequences of them and how they affect other people around us and things of this nature. I'm talking about is it lawlessness or is it not? Is it transgression of the law or is it not? That's what we have to determine. Then we, then we need to get, we can realize, okay, yeah, some of them got different consequences than others. There's the sin of what I think in my mind as a sin of what I think in my mind that becomes an action. There's different ways in which I repent for that. There's different ways in which there's consequences for that. There's different individuals that may be affected by that. So we, we can get down that line, but what we're determining here, is it lawlessness or is it not? Is it transgression of the law or is it not? And the only way I would know sin is if God tells me. Remember, that's what Paul said. So it's breaking that law. It's transgressing that law. It's living as if there's no law. Okay, that's what lawlessness is. So to commit sin, that's what we must be doing. 
is transgressing the law or living like there's no law. And we have to, we have to understand that. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourself are to put all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with its deeds. 1 John 2 and verse 16. Did I put that one on there? I wrote that in last minute, so I probably didn't. But, but it's talking about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. All of these things are from the world. When you think about sin and you think about lawlessness, you think about transgression of the law, there's this decision that is made, but we have to understand all sin comes from one or all of these avenues. They manifest themselves in this way. We could spend a whole lesson on Genesis uh, chapter 3 where Eve did this, but Eve made a decision. She knew what God said. She knew what His instructions were. She chose to make herself independent of that. Now you may say, well, she was talked into that, but she still chose to do that, independent of what that law was, and she transgressed that law, and the reasons were for her own benefit. She wanted to be independent of what God said to do and not to do. She liked the way it looked. She, she wanted to be wise. She wanted to be different. She wanted to be different than what she was, separate from what God said. And I think that's, that's how sin does manifest itself. As James says, it starts in that desire. Then when that desire gives in, it becomes sin. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. So we have to realize how it manifests, how it grows, how it evolves. And how it evolves is we decide we're going to do something separate. Now there's a lot of reasons in which that happens. Sometimes we could do it ignorantly. Sometimes we do it uh, uh, voluntarily. We do it consciously in, in doing it. But either way, that ever how we get there, the point is it's either lawless or it's not. It's transgression of the law or it's not. We can come up with all the excuses in the world. It, I always think back, it goes back to my mom. You know, if I was ever late, well, it was so-and-so's fault because they didn't get me back to my car in time. They, well, no, I chose to get in the car with them. I took it out of my control and whatever happened after that was still my responsibility. So we can come up with a lot of excuses. We can come up with a lot of things of why it happened, but it still doesn't change the fact that it happened, does it? It's either lawlessness or it's not. It's transgression of the law or it's not. Now notice also, with all of this understanding, here's something else that I think is a given. We understand that there's a law. Sin is transgression of that law. So there has to be a lawgiver. So what should be our next rationale when it comes to that? If I don't want to sin, if I don't want to break the law, what do I need to know? The law. Right? You know, I, I need to know. You ever got pulled over and said, well, I didn't know it was 55 through here. I didn't know it was this speed limit. What do you think they're going to say? What's that? Y'all know, and most time I look up and there's a sign, there. not that I've been stopped for speed, but might look up and there'd be a sign there that says 55 mile an hour, you know. And believe me, throwing a Bible up on the dash doesn't help at all either. So you just have to take what you can get sometimes. But what are they going to say? 
That's still the law. The law is this. You transgress the law. Here is the consequence for that. So we ought to know the law. So if sin is defined by God's law, I think knowledge of God's word is essential for our lives. In Psalms 119, begin at verse 10. It says, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. <clears throat> now this is something that we have to understand too. Knowing God's law, notice what the psalmist says, that I might not sin against who? Against God. Why? He's the lawgiver. So when we sin, we sin against God. Then that takes us to something else, another part of sin that I think sometimes we, we don't think of. We don't think of the offense of the sin. Uh, when I, if someone is getting took to court, okay, they're a criminal, they broke the law. When uh, they get cut to court, do they say uh, the, the law versus Jimmy are strong? Is that how they say it? What is it usually? The people versus Jimmy Strong. See, it's not just breaking the law. It's not just that we broke the law. It's that there, there's, there's, there's a, a, an offense to that. It, it's the people that versus. So when we sin, it's not just that we broke the law. It's not that we just transgressed the law. There's an offense that is tied to that. And I think sometimes we take that part out of it. We just look at it as just... Okay, just a lawbreaker, simple, missing the mark. Well, there, there is an offense that's there. Remember what Paul said in Acts 25, beginning at verse 8? He says, While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offend, offended in anything at all. See, Paul understood it was possible to sin against the law, sin against the temple, but he also realized it's possible to sin against or offend a person. So the sin goes much more than just committing the sin. It's, it's committing an offense. And that offense is what has to be addressed. Sin is offensive against another. Again, I think we understand that in the court system, but I think if we understand it biblically, <clears throat> we can look at it as uh, that we sin against God. He's the lawgiver, so it's not just his law that we're sinning against. We're sinning against the one who gave the law. Notice, when it comes to that, we can think of David when it comes to this, can't we? Uh, that's exactly what David did. He realized that he sinned, uh, sinned against God. But when we think about, and we're going to get into that, but when we think about offending God, can we hurt God? Is there any way to hurt God? I can't hurt him physically. I can't overpower him. But can I hurt him? Yeah. Does God hurt when I, I sin against him? Does he feel hurt? Does he like it? Does he not like it? In Hosea chapter 11, you remember what God did? Uh, he had Hosea to marry a prostitute that was going to commit adultery against him. And, and why do you think God did that? God did that so Hosea could feel the pain that God felt when Israel ran off with, with all the idols and committed adultery against him with these other idols. He wanted Hosea to feel the pain that he felt because of it. 
He wanted Hosea to, to know this is what it's doing. It's not just sin, a clerical sin as far as uh, transgression of the law, which that's what sin is. There's much more tied to it. There's an offense to it. He wanted Hosea to know, okay, you're doing this, which goes against my command, but I want you to know what this feels like. I want you to know what this is causing. I want you to know the pain that this is causing. Look in Hosea 11 and verse 8. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zebion? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred, he says. Now notice in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, have become idolaters? In Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You know what God is saying? How can you do this? I brought you out of Egypt. You didn't see all the things that I did. You didn't see the people that I brought to deliver you. All that I've done and look at what you've done. It's like a husband pleading with his bride. All that I've done, all that we have in our marriage, all that our marriage means, the covenant that we made with each other, and you do this, that's the pain that's, that's associated with it. That's what God is talking about. That's what he was showing Hosea, the, the offense of the sin. It's not just the sin itself, it's the offense of the sin and what that can cause. And who better to know that than David? Um, well, notice Psalms 81. Psalm, did I put Psalms 81 there? Well, let's go to 51 because I added 81. And I don't think we're going to have time for it. Psalms 51, notice David. He said, Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And I tell you, I've, I've always struggled with this. And he's talking about the sin with Bathsheba. But David said, Against you and you only have I sinned. How can David say that? He didn't sin against Bathsheba. He didn't sin against Uriah. He didn't sin against Uriah's parents because he killed his son. I mean, you think about all these sins that he committed. How can he say against you and you only can I sin? Now remember, sin is transgression of the law, right? Who's the lawgiver? It's God. So you think about what David did and you think about how God is involved in that and then I think we can see how David can say against you and you only have I sinned. So when it comes to, to God himself, you know, when we see his words of, of, of everything that he did here, what did he do? It was God's holy law that, that set the boundaries for David, right? And David broke those boundaries. Okay? What about when, when David looked out and saw Bathsheba? There's that desire he saw, that's something, someone that he wanted there. God had set pure his mind. David's the one that crossed the boundaries of what God said in his mind. Then he, he, he crossed the boundaries. He sinned against God's law when it comes to marriage and adultery. Did he not? So there again he sinned against God. Then when you think about him taking Uriah's life, well God is the one who sanctified what life is. 
So there you have all these steps in which David is breaking and then even the integrity of the, uh, of the kingdom itself, who put David in that position to be king? God. So you look at all of these things, all the transgressions of the law that David did, every single one of them was against God. So when David said, against you and you only have I sinned, what David realized was sin is transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness, living independently of that law, and it's an offense to the lawgiver. So that's what David's conclusion had to be. And I think that's why he said that uh, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, how can we properly repent of sin unless we recognize this if we don't think there's any offense to it then there's no motivation or incentive to do anything about it so when we try to come up with the idea of what is a sin I think first we need to ask ourselves what is sin itself sin is transgression of the law Sin is lawlessness, which means there must be a law, which means there has to be a lawgiver, which means I have to know that lawgiver to know what that law is. Then anything that transgresses that law is sin. And they have to be took care of. They have to be took care of whether I, I, I do it within my, myself. That desire stays here. It don't ever become an action. That's where Jesus said take care of it anyway. Or if it becomes an action, I have to take care of it with that way. But the only way that I will is to know that it's an offense. That there's more to it than just that. But one final thing, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. Remember jumping over from one building to the next and missing the other building? Can you imagine falling? That's what missing the mark is. That's what falling short is. Look at 1 John chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Jesus said, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. So we're missing the mark. We're falling short, and, and you're falling, but guess what? Then there's a hand that grabs you. That's, if, see, if we look at sin in the right way, we're going to look at that gift of salvation that Jesus makes available to us the right way. It's not just Jesus took that little arrow and he moved it a couple inches and put it on the bullseye. He's grabbing us from the abyss. He's grabbing us from we're missing, we're falling to utter destruction. And he puts out a hand for us. So see, we can... And we can go in and we can study and we can think about, well, is this a sin or not? Or is this sin or not? I think we do that because maybe we truly don't know what sin is. We truly don't know the devastation of it, of how awful it is and that great gift that, that God has given us. Any final thoughts? I know I talked a lot tonight. didn't give you much opportunity. Any final thoughts real quick? Agree, disagree? Is sin bad? You know, I was telling Kevin, he won't know what uh, the title was. I said, sin. I said, I don't know if we're further again it. We're going to try to figure it out here in just a few minutes. You know, what's that? Wages of sin is death. That's right, Romans 6 and 23. It absolutely is. But notice, that's, that's what's really comforting about James. When James tells us that sin, when that desire, we give into that, it becomes sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So we have an opportunity to take care of it before it comes full grown.
But I think before we take care of it, we need to understand what it is.